Exodus is over, and it has been for 10 years, but we're just getting started talking about it here on Post Show Recaps on Lost Lives. Lost Lives is back so soon, so soon after the last Lost Lives. Uh, I am here with a guy who's got a little bit of arst on him. It's Mike Bloom again. Mike, hello. I'll, I'll be glad. I'll gladly have arse on me all the time. That sounds uh, terrible. I, I feel like a, I wear arse in every day of my life. Uh, yeah. He, here's Mike Bloom. He's wearing arse. <laughs> a great collection of here's the full arse look. I'm surprised that there isn't an arse fashion line that some lost fans created so that you could really just go for the joke. You have some arse on you. Well, what is it like sweater vest and that little uh, like scarf ascot thing? That yeah, you, you need one an, episode. Yeah, you need an ascot. You need like a like a, a short sleeve plaid shirt, plaid button down. Uh, you need you need a, a flag that has like a piece of pants on it for yeah. uh, for to get the wind gauge right and it's for like people who are like my size who are like you know like not like not like super overweight but chubby chubby <laughs> it's like for chubby people for everyone who wants to look like a high school science teacher but not walter white yeah. if your name's leslie and you don't want the world to know it where ours whoops i'm sorry leslie i just revealed your name again I just reveals your name again all right here we are we're talking about exodus 10 years after exodus the season one finale of lost and mike and i are recording this very shortly after we have recorded our five year retrospective of the end of the series finale of lost um just a little behind the scenes just to, to peek at the man behind the curtain actually mike and i had talked about doing the exodus podcast before we even realized that the end was was, was near we didn't realize the end was near <laughs> yeah we didn't even realize that the end was approaching its its uh, five-year anniversary and and we had you know mike and i have talked before on lost lives about how exodus we think is the best episode of lost i'm not speaking out of school for you no, absolutely not. And yeah. I, I forget what I, what I said exactly on again, because that we went through the, this gestation period about nine months since we did that episode ranking. But I believe I, I, I think we said something along the lines, or at least I did of like, I, I think that Exodus is one of the best season finales I think I've seen of any show. Yeah. To date. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a terrific, terrific, terrific episode. And you know, your mileage will vary on which episodes of lost you think are the best. Uh, you know, some of you will like Trisha Tanaka is dead more than others. Okay, all but, right. <laughs> but, but, but you will come together and love each other because you will realize that Exodus is a fantastic episode. Yeah, it's the great equalizer. It's the great equalizer. So whether or not Exodus is, is your favorite Lost episode like it is for Mike and I, at least I, I think most people can appreciate that this is a fantastic episode of Lost. Certainly one that's worth uh, a little bit of a deeper dive. Ten years later, ten years after we blew open the hatch and had no idea what the frack was inside of the thing for uh, an entire very frustrating summer. Um, so, so it's really fun and, and yeah, you know, Mike and I, we were talking about doing this episode and then realized that the end was coming up as well. So let's talk about the end, too. So not to diminish our conversation about the end, which I thought was a terrific conversation, Mike. But uh, this is what I've been waiting for. I've really been waiting to dig into Exodus. Yeah, this. Well, this is also, you know, it granted it's a, it's a two hour end to this to the series. And there's obviously a lot to dissect there and it's specifically putting it in the perspective of season six in general. Uh, here it, we're kind of rewinding the clock a little bit and not uh, by our um, turning the donkey wheel we uh we're going back to the end of season one and granted we now have three hours of material to talk about but now we only really have like one season of stuff to cover so it all kind of balances out in a way yeah i mean i i think this is interesting what what's your experience mike we, we just talked about the end we just revisited the end completely out of context without having watched any of the episodes of season six leading into the end anytime recently um what is your what, what was what was your experience going from watching exodus 
after having watched the end out of context, you know, watching the season one finale out of context after watching the season six finale out of context. Well, I will say that uh, we'll, we'll talk. Obviously I think we'll talk in this podcast about the whole man of science versus man of faith drop, which I think this is the first episode where that idea really yeah. gets named and put in there. Yeah. So having watched the end and having Jack say John Locke was right is so much fun to watch in contrast to this, where John Locke is spewing his, what will turn out to be correct philosophy of we were all chosen to be on this island and Jack just looking at him completely incredulous, incredulously. So to kind of track their journey backwards through those two episodes was a lot of fun to watch personally. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think it's I think it's a really cool mirror image. And uh, thankfully, we're going back. We are doing all of the time traveling nose bleeding for you unless you guys have, uh, have have taken the trip back in time with us. But at the very least, listening to us talking about exodus should cause no nosebleeds. Yes. And as long as you have chocolate before dinner, you'll be okay. Or after, after dinner. Yeah. After dinner is where you're, you're not, you're not allowed to have chocolate before dinner. That will cause nosebleeds for sure. Exactly. Um, all right. So let's dig into this. And, and Mike, I know that there was a way that you wanted to tackle Exodus. So, so what are you thinking? Yeah, so in a, in a manner similar to uh, the great work that Coconut Pete did a couple podcasts ago with uh, with the reasons to love season six, I figured let's let's stick on this this listicle trend that exists in our society today, and let's go with twenty three reasons why Exodus is the best episode of Lost. Fair enough. Listen, if you guys don't agree with us after this, then there will be no convincing you. You know, I, I it does not take twenty three reasons to get me on board with you, Mike. But uh, maybe maybe this will work for some people. And I will kind of give a disclaimer here that I, I'm going to save some of the the bigger, uh, more pertinent, one of, some of my more favorite reasons towards the end. But aside from those like five or six, really all the other reasons are kind of compounded together. There's, this really isn't going to be in any certain hierarchy or order. We're not we're not counting down or anything. Uh, but there are some fantastic moments that will obviously save for the end. So, uh, so it's like, it's like two ties. It's like a five or six way tie for first. And then everything else is tied for second. Yeah. There's a little bit of strata going on. Okay, uh, sure. There's, there's like the, the a team and the B team of moments here in, in Exodus. Well, that's fair. There's an a B there's an a team in this episode. There's a B team. There's a C team. We get the Said and Charlie story. We have the raft. We have Jack and Locke. So that works out. And I think there's even a D team with like, uh, the, the caves, the caves. That's, that sucks to be on the cave squad in this episode that is a little bit of a, a bummer for those people i mean in general you'd say about season one whenever except for like the, the the episodes that kind of revolve around the moth and everything right if you get if you're sent to go to the caves chances <laughs> are you are not going to be doing anything for a while <laughs> that's fair that's fair all right mike well that there's that's a lot of business to take care of in about an hour so so let's dig into it what, what do you got for me all right, so let's start with number one. I will give an honorable mention uh, that I, I'll say uh, one of the great things to love about this episode, especially looking back at it now, is how much you can tell this exists in, in 2004 uh, between Walt playing like a Game Boy Advance SP and Shannon referring to Saeed as an Arab. Yes. Uh, I think I think it's fun to look back at like these time capsule moments and be like, oh, I guess that's what life in 2004 was like. Yeah, do you do you feel like it's it's um it's it's very dated? I mean, we're talking about an episode that aired in, in in May of 2005. Uh, it's May 2015 today. Do you think that there is a, a huge, huge mark in terms of the time that's passed, or are we still a little too close to it to see that it is very much 10 years ago? I mean, I think it's, it's for the most part, pretty since I think the, the show benefits from obviously being on an Island and specifically the first season is very rustic and very natural because they do not know what is in the hatch and we're not in Dharmaville yet. So they're able to benefit from kind of not really talking about these archaic, uh, technology pieces. It's only, I think when we go to the flashbacks and we start seeing these things that we realize like, Oh yeah, uh, that's, 
that was that was a thing back then. <laughs> that was a thing back then. Interesting. All right. So so that's your that's your little uh, your little bonus at the top. So what's what's number twenty three? Let's start digging in these numbers. Yeah. So I'm gonna start, and this is more of a, a general concept. But I think it's gonna kind of set out the list that's to follow. But it's one of the one of the main reasons. I'll I'll grab something from the A list here to just kind of whet our appetite a bit. Uh, this is something that I, I feel like is one of the big reasons why I personally love the episode, which is everyone in the ensemble is given something to do. Yeah. Uh, in spite of us just kind of poking fun at going to the caves there on losses more was one of the the biggest shows in the past 10 years to really take a huge ensemble of people and give them all a story and something to do i mean you could argue that the wire was trying the same thing at the same time but also the wire was not was you know bringing certain characters in and putting certain characters out they were not trying to tie all 16 or whoever recurring characters into one larger story. And I feel like this episode especially did an amazing job with giving every single person something to do, Yeah, uh, which was, is very, very, very rare. And we've seen it fall out on like other shows uh, that came after lost where they're going to try the same thing, but it seems so phoned in when they have to say like, Oh, and this character they'll be doing this, this episode. I think this had a, because they were able to say, okay, these people are going to the hatch. These people are going, are in the raft. These people decide to pursue Danielle. These people are going to the caves. They were able to separate them. We're going to get uh, some different combos that I'm going to talk about later on. Uh, but I think everyone has, a, and even with the addition of flashbacks as well, of bringing everyone together, uh, it's really nice to see everyone have something to do in this finale. Yeah, unfortunately for the cave people. But I mean, like, you you even have, you know, Boone, who's dead at this point. He's going to have flashback stuff to do. You're going to get, uh, you know, it's it's definitely, you know, a 10-year-ago type of thing. But I do enjoy Shannon's scene in the airport of talking about Saeed like that. I think it's just classic Shannon. You get the huge moment with Michael and Walt. I mean, this is really the last, in my opinion, great Michael and Walt episode. Um, you know, I, I do love their their moments in um, in three minutes and uh, and in the season two finale as well. But I mean, those are those are scenes. Those are those are fantastic scenes. This is a great episode for Michael and Walt. Um, and that's really a thing of season one lost that you don't really get after this season. So I, I that's a big reason why I love the raft. But no, you're right. Every every main character on this show, uh, every series regular has some interesting to do except for the cave people it's it's really nice and it really again also speaks to how lost season one had a few mysteries in there but it was mostly about the people and i think once once that hatch is blown open then we also kind of uncorked pandora's box here and let out all these theories about the dharma initiative and i think that is the thing that a lot of people had criticisms about as the series went along they thought that things got a little too clouded by the mythology and it, it kind of uh, put the blinders on as some of the stuff that was going on with the characters. So if you want to look back, if you believe that and you want to look back to a time when lost a simpler time and lost was just about some people trying to get off an Island look no further than Exodus. They were trying to get off an Island, huh? Move. Okay. Uh, let's hear, let's hear 22. 22. Uh, this is a small random detail, but I loved it. And I, I love picking it up and rewatching the episode. It is the name drop of the honorable Warren Truss. Okay. Do tell. I, I don't think that I've ever noticed this before. Uh, the honorable Warren Truss is, I guess he's the Australian minister of like forestry and agriculture. He's the guy that Sawyer punches in the face at the Australian bar. Um, it's, it's such a random detail. And I think this speaks more to how, my comedic senses of minutia work, but I just love, so it, it, his name comes up when in the flashback, when Sawyer's arrested in the first hour and the Australian police officers talk, he's basically recapping everything what Sawyer did, uh, which is basically that he 
uh, like he he was in a, a bar and he got in a fight apparently with Warren Truss and he headbutted him. Uh, and I think that's just I think that's just a really funny little detail that they threw in there. That's uh, amazing. And- I've never noticed that before. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at the the Exodus Part One transcript right now, and it's uh, Sawyer talking to the head of the cops, uh, and and the guy says, uh, "Do you know who you headbutted in that bar? You headbutted the Honorable Warren Truss, Minister of Agriculture, Fisheries, and Forestry." Uh, and Sawyer says, "He headbutted me." Uh, I love it. I love it that Sawyer also basically got in a in a fight with the Australian version of Leslie No. That's amazing. That's great. I've never noticed that before. That's incredible. Yeah, and that's so. See, there there are more than enough reasons to watch this episode. One of them being that you get to pick up little details like that that you think like, oh, maybe Sawyer shooting that guy uh, in Australia was one of the things that would get him arrested and, and deported back to the United States. Nope, it's because he headbutted the Honorable Warren Trust in a bar. That's incredible. That's fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I thought that, that, that I knew everything there is to know about this episode. Obviously, there's, there's even little details that I've never picked up on before. That's very funny. That's great. Yeah, uh, and it's I, I just love it also because I want to imagine the conversation that took place between Warren Trust and Sawyer that would prompt them getting into this extreme fight. Yeah, I need to I need to do my research on Warren Trust. I need to know more about this man and why he and Sawyer would be in a headbutting battle. I bet Sawyer was probably get, trying to give him like tidbits about irrigation systems. And right. It just got him so heated up. Right. Yeah, because <laughs> Sawyer knows so much about agriculture, fisheries and forestry. Yeah, that's that's really, you know, aside from getting revenge uh, for his dead parents, that was probably passion. number two on his list. <laughs> I'm into fly fishing. <laughs> yeah. uh, why do you why do you think he uh, he's a raft asset? One of the many reasons is that he can fish. Apparently. Very, very good point. Yeah. I mean, we, we spend all this time in season one with Jin being the, the fisherman. But uh, who knew Sawyer could have done it all on his on his own. Yep. Now that, especially now that he's like, oh, I didn't have my glasses. Now I can finally fish. Now I could fish. I can read up on my farmer's almanac. Oh, that's great. All right. Where, where are we going from here? Where's 21? Uh, 21 is an interesting one uh, because I think it's, there are obviously some characters make a lot of transitions over the course of the first season. And I think none is more prevalent than the one of Shannon. So number 21 for me is Shannon being Shannon. Shannon being Shannon. Shannon's going to be Shannon, man. Yeah, but I think it's a it's a fun contrast to have her again. We talked about this with her in the flashbacks being totally stuck up to Boone and this whole thing. This you have this really kind of heartbreaking scene where Boone says, like, you know, someday you'll 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 appreciate me. Uh, you'll appreciate what I've been doing for you. And you have her, you know, saying, well, look, I'm self-sufficient, too. Hey, p- officers, go after that Middle Eastern man. He left right. his bag behind. But then you kind of contrast that to her in the caves, like trying, you know, a, the first hour is her focused around trying to get over Boone's death was, which is actually, again, pretty heartbreaking to watch when she's trying to carry all of Boone's clothes back to the caves with her. Cause she doesn't, she doesn't want to leave anything behind. And I think the Walt giving Vincent, uh, to Shannon scene is a great one as well. It's not on my list, but that could probably be another honorable mention as well, just because I'm a dog lover. So that's always, uh, it's a really fun scene to have Walt say, you know, like Vincent made me forget about when my mom died and maybe that kills he me every time. Yeah. Oh, it's so it's so freaking good. Uh, and then you, once she goes to the caves and you see her first, she tries to take care of Claire though. That kind of becomes, uh, something that is n- not possible <laughs> amidst the, the baby being missing. But then once uh, you had this nice little moment that once Saeed comes back, uh, and she kind of throws her arms around him. I know we even talked in the last podcast about how much we weren't a fan of Saeed ending up with Shannon, but 
I think when they were doing this stuff a little bit in seasons one and two, I think it was really nice. And especially when Shannon's kind of at her weakest moment here, you know, she's lost the person that's closest to her. I think it's it's for her a really nice relief to see Saeed come back. And I think it speaks volumes about the relationship that they've achieved across the season. Yeah, I love I love this scene with with Saeed and Shannon. And, you know, we just spent some time giving Shannon and Saeed some crap in our in our talk about the end. Uh, the fact that they wind up together in the flash sideways. And I hold to that. I think that the, the love story for Saeed has been Nadia throughout this entire series. But there is this fling with Shannon. And there are times when I do think it actually works pretty well. Uh, I love this scene between between them here where she breaks down and she's got all of this, um, you know, she's got all of the luggage and she can't handle the dog and the luggage at the same time. And Saeed is saying, uh, you know, you don't need to bring so much to the caves. And she says, I have to. I, they're, my, they're my brother's things. I can't leave them. Uh, it's too much. It's too much. And I, I love Saeed's it won't be too much if I carry it for you. Uh, I just it's, 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 it's Saeed uh, incorrectly quoting Lord of the Rings there. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Share the load. Uh, you know, I, I just I think that that's a great, great Saeed moment. And it's it's one of the great Saeed and Shannon moments. And there are a few. There are yeah. a few. And I think that um, Shannon being Shannon, I, I like that. I, I like Shannon in the in the flashback, as we've already touched on. I like Shannon here. I think it's a really good contrast to the growth that she is showing. I do think that you know the show does ultimately decide to kill shannon just as she's become an interesting character yeah um, and you know you're starting to see shades of that here yeah I, I think we just talked about that before about how we if only we had known what would have become of the reception behind anna lucia and how we wish that their fortunes would have been reversed right. in that rainy jungle in season two <laughs> sure sure all right let's move on what do we got at 20 so uh well let's segue from uh, a you know, a romantic partner of Saeed to a mission partner with Saeed for this episode. Uh, number 20 for me is Charlie finding the heroin stash at the Beechcraft plane. Uh, now, I know that this is going to lead into some not so positive to positively received Charlie storyline in season two. But at the time, just isolating this one scene in there, I thought this was really, really interesting because Charlie's big storyline this season, aside from him romancing Claire was him really trying to basically go through detox and try to stave off addiction. And I thought it was so interesting to have, you know, a, it's sort of Chekhov's beachcraft a bit in terms of, you know, once, once they find it and Saeed just offhandedly says like, Oh yeah. And it's full of heroin uh, <laughs> yeah. without even knowing anything. I think it's just fun to watch Charlie's, you know, longing look towards there and to see like, Oh, this guy is not out of the woods yet when it comes to freeing himself from his addiction. Yeah. But it was, it, it's a great payoff too, from, you know, when Boone and Locke discover the, uh, the beach craft in Deus Ex Machina, when Boone like smashes the, the thing and he's like, it's filled with heroin. And from that moment, you're like, Oh no, Charlie is totally going to find this at some point. And the fact that they pay that off just a couple of episodes later is nice that they don't just leave that dangling over our heads going into season two where we're like, when is he going to find the heroin? Cause he's going to find the heroin. Um, and I, I think I think that's great. And there's other shoes that are going to drop with this. You know, I'm I'm not the world's biggest fan of Charlie season two. Uh, I think I've been pretty vocal about that. I think that the you all everybody's is just the worst. Yeah. You know, I, I like when Lost gets goofy, but you can get too far as well. And you all everybody's is just what a disaster. Um, but I I do. There's one there's one scene that I really do like from season two, Charlie, which is um you know after he's kind of been outed by people that he's that he 
movies, you know, um, I, I think it's, I think the episode is the 23rd Psalm. I think it's when he goes out with Echo and Claire, you know, kicks him out and, uh, Echo gives him the statue back, the statue with the heroin. And he goes off into the jungle and has what we now find out is just a giant stash of mm-hmm. these Virgin Mary statues. Like he thought that he just had the one that he had in his bag at the end of Exodus. No, he took a lot. He has a lot. He has a lot of heroin. Um, and just like even the look on his face is, is something akin to, I have a lot of heroin. Yeah. Oh boy. Oh God. <laughs> That's a lot of heroin. Um, so I, 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 I really do like that. And it does start here with, with um, Charlie discovering this first Virgin Mary statue. Um, and the, again, another great Saeed moment of it was filled with heroin. Uh, you know, I just, I think, um, I think that's great. And it doesn't, doesn't necessarily pay off in the best ways in season two, but there are some moments where uh, I do think that this was worthwhile. And I think that at least in the moment, it was really cool to see Charlie encounter his, uh, his demons like this. Yeah. Again, it, and it's, it's, we just talked about Shannon really seeing her arc personified in these couple scenes in this episode. I feel like Charlie's the exact same way, uh, except now it seems like it's going more full circle because his flashback scenes are him waking up with this random girl and him lying about that. All the heroin's gone when he actually pockets his own stash and the girl kind of beats him up and calls him pathetic. Right. We see him now manically go after Claire's baby because he cares about them so much, which, you know, Saeed would argue that he's kind of coming in too hot there uh, in terms of his, his, we're also do experiencing this episode on the brink of uh, Charlie killing Ethan. Right. Yeah. Uh, which some, some people, some people in this, in the cast are on the show still argued like, well, that was great that you did that, but still it's, it might be a little wrong that you killed someone. Yeah, You killed a guy. Uh, so then to have Charlie kind of, I wouldn't say relapse in, in that moment. Again, you'll, we'll see it much more in the 23rd Psalm and when he unfortunately has to he kidnaps son to get heroin uh, from from Locke. But I think uh, I think that's I think that's the long con. Neither here nor there. Um, oh, OK, maybe maybe I'm confusing things. Um, but I, I'd, I'd say that to have uh, this scene kind of or Charlie's scenes don't end on this, but because it's such a big focus, I think it sets up a nice uh, a nice thing that might not pay off in season two necessarily of like, well, he's not completely out of the woods yet. Right. All right, let's move on. Let's get away from heroin because drugs are bad. Let's go to 19. Well, let's stay on Charlie here because Charlie... <laughs> well, let's do drugs. Yes, let's, let's, do, let's, do, let's do some drugs here, no, guys. No, uh, we'll no, now take no. a nice 15-minute break. Okay, and we're back and... Okay, all right, so uh, number 19. Uh, no, uh, so Charlie... We're going to stay on the Charlie line here. And I hope I know where you're going, but, but let's hear it. Uh, it's Charlie's big idea before the raft launches. And this is, uh, I guess, uh, we're, we're going to be sting fans for the next few minutes because we're talking about messages in a bottle. Yes. <laughs> is it, does, uh, does drops of Saeed, do they cover a uh, message in a bottle? No, this, that will be, um, what's a good one? Uh, Sunnicity. Okay. Sunnicity too. All right. Sounds good. Uh, yeah, this is this is a fun one because again, if we're going back to this whole idea of oh right, they're trying to actually get off the island in season one, uh, to have Charlie come up with this idea of let's all write messages and put them in the bottle is a lot of fun. It doesn't again, it doesn't really pay off because of what ultimately happens to the raft, but you get some really fun character moments here. Uh, Hurley ends up writing a note about giving his mother all of his money, and we see Sawyer is reading all the notes on the raft uh, when they're when they're 
throughout the the part two, I think. And I just love his things like, who the hell is Hugo? And how does he have like $65 million? Yes. Yes. And then the, the other fun one. And again, this is another like war and trust type of minor blink and you miss a moment is when uh, he's reading the note about how Tracy is apparently has a husband back home in Arizona, but she is sleeping with either Scott or Steve. Yeah, but no one knows if it's Steve or Scott. Yeah, Walt, Walt does, but I don't think anyone's paying attention to Walt at this point. No, it's not yet. We've got other things to worry about with Walt. No, I, I love that, too. And isn't isn't Locke the guy who's like, I don't have anybody, any, anybody to write to. I'm good. I've, I've got all my things here. Yeah, exactly. I, 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 he might write to, I don't know, the, the Brandy Nations, a very right. scathing, a scathing letter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he doesn't even want to write to Helen. No, Helen, you don't want to write to Helen, John? Come on. Yeah. Uh, but no, John Locke is home. He's, he's found his home. I, I love it. I love the message in the bottle thing. And I think, you know, this is a prop that's obviously going to come into play in season two when it washes ashore and makes people realize that something happened to the raft. Uh, so I, I like this idea of, of having this out there. But um, I, I feel like somebody, I don't know if there was like an official lost sanctioned thing, um, but I do think that there, there were um, some of these messages from the bottle were, were released by by oh. abc potentially i might just be pulling this out of my own bottle uh my bottle um but i but i do believe that that's the case if you if you look that up somewhere um but i i mean i would just love a book if it doesn't exist i would love a book of just the messages in the bottle from the end of exodus we might be 10 years too late for that product but maybe, maybe we can write our own yeah we could write our own we can write our own <laughs> messages in the bottle I think if we if we if we write I think we should all write some lock messages. I would mine would be like, Dear maintenance company, thank you for replacing the glass in the window after my father uh, tackled me out of it. <laughs> I, right. And I got paralyzed as a result. Right. Uh, please. I, I do not have any attached money, but uh, you, my debt is paid in kind. If you stop by this, uh, this farming uh, commune, yeah. and drop my drop my name. Dear, and- dear everybody at the hippie commune. What was I doing there? <laughs> Let's just forget that ever happened. Yeah, let's forget that ever happened. No, the messages in the bottle are terrific. All right, let's let's move on to number 18. Uh, number 18, uh, how could I go this far without really talking about some quans? I can't believe it myself. Uh, so number the next the next reason is going to be the significance of Mr. Pake's watch. Okay, let's hear it. So we we see it a couple times in this episode. The first is when we have a Sun and Jin flashback uh, where, you know, she ends up spilling coffee on him. Uh, this also, again, 2004 talk, um, the memoirs of a geisha reference is dropped in this episode uh, when they're like they're they're doing the whole like Seinfeld nail salon thing where they don't think son can understand them. Right. Uh, and they're like, oh, it's like memoirs of a geisha right, in real yes. life. <laughs> I remember that. That's <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was that's very very. And it was the movie wasn't even out yet, which is amazing. Uh, yeah, Memoir, all, all, Memoirs it, of a Geisha isn't out until 2005. It's it's just a, a reference to the 97 it, book. It was just such a hotly talked about movie coming up. Yeah, maybe yeah maybe these guys are just real cinephiles and they're like, do you know that uh, Memoirs of a Geisha is going to be released in uh, in December of of next year? It's it's only a year away until Rob Marshall's Memoirs of a Geisha. Yeah, it was it was, it was a dark time before Marvel. Marvel movies where the biggest movies you had to look forward to were memoirs of a geisha. I can't wait for the memoirs of a geisha cinematic universe. <laughs> yes, I'm going to, I'm going to bring my katana to the theater. Oh my God. What's going to happen in phase three? Uh, so yeah, so Jen is supposed to get coffee spilled on him and there's this fun scene where he's in the bathroom and you just think he's talking to this random guy who's asking for paper towels. And it turns out that like, Oh, you don't speak English, but it turns out that he's an associate of Mr. Paik. And he basically tells Jen, like, listen, 
I know what you're doing. You're planning to run away once you get to America. Just know that if you do, we will find you and we will kill you. You are not free. Yeah, I hate that guy. And I think that translates so well, first of all, to the first part where, uh, and I mean, we'll, we can obvi- we'll obviously talk about this later, but uh, that Jin and Sun scene right before the raft scene is so... Uh, I mean, I know I'm speaking from it a hit, very it, biased it, it point of view. You, it hits you right in the blooms. It, is, it, it hits me right in the blooms. It is inc- it's really incredible. And if you track this again back to the you are not free type of thing, Jin is really, those words have stuck with him. He's trying to find a way to free himself from his commitments. And even though the islands kind of get him out of certain commitments, I feel like he still wants to free himself and find a life for himself and his wife that is not on some sort of weird island. So that I like that that's also kind of ba- his sort of driving force behind getting on the raft. And then we see the watch come out in uh, like hour three when Michael finally decides to give the watch back to Jin and Jin gives the watch bike back to Michael. I think that's a fun symbol of Jin kind of shedding away his uh, his outer commitments from the world that he was coming from and really sticking to like, listen, I'm a, I'm a new man now. I don't need to, I don't need to think about what I was tasked to do beforehand. Yeah, no, it's good. I, I mean, the Michael Jinn bromance is spectacular. It's a shame that it's as short lived as it ends up being, but when they are just on the same page, they really are the Han and Chewie of this thing. And it's a, it's a great combo. Yeah. I, and we'll, I think we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more, but and especially because, you know, if we're looking back at House of the Rising Sun with Jin trying to murder Michael because he has the watch on, I think, again, this is another nice symbol of how far yes. this relationship between the characters has come over the course of these episodes. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Let's talk about 17. 17. Uh, John Locke being an asshole about the dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he really is. He is such an asshole. He really is. All right, I know, let's I know, hear it. I know he's right. He ends up being right, as Jack <laughs> says in the end. But God, he is such an asshole here. Where I'm, <laughs> I'm referring, yeah, exactly. I'm referring specifically to the scene where him and Jack are handling the dynamite, and Locke just says, "You ever play Operation? Yeah. I was, uh, I was uh, never good. <laughs> I always got hung up on the funny bone." <laughs> Oh, what an uh, asshole. This is like five seconds after Leslie Arst has blown up everywhere. Yeah, our, uh, Locke needs to know how to read a room. He, that is not his skill. Listen, you know, John Locke might be right in the end. John Locke might be vindicated by everything that happens in the in the final stages of Lost and everything that happens after he dies. Um, you know, he might have been on the right path. He might be the only person on Oceanic 815 who gets it immediately. That being said... Uh, whether or not he's a good guy has nothing to do with the fact that he has no social skills. He's just, he is terrible with people. And you, you said it well, he does not know how to read the room. Yeah. You know, he's the guy who shows up at Boone's funeral covered in Boone's blood. You know, and he's the guy who is making operation jokes with highly sensitive dynamite <laughs> right after it's blown up <laughs> Leslie Arst in front of their very eyes. Uh, he's, he's an asshole. Absolutely. John Locke being an asshole about the dynamite is is perfect yeah and i love you know jack tells kate later like i think we're gonna have a lock problem if this succeeds and i think he's alluding to the man of science man of faith stuff but part of me wants to think that it also alludes to the fact like we're gonna have a, a lock problem he just he does not know how to say appropriate things yeah. <laughs> he's just so awkward uh but no i i think so and i i honestly i mean i think that that seriously feeds into it i think that somebody like jack who is a man of science as he identifies he is a doctor he you know has you know it's not his field of expertise uh you know psychology or anything and lord knows that there were times in his past where he probably could have benefited from some therapy but he 
you know, better than many of these other people on the island can recognize when somebody's got something a little bit off about them. And I think that the guy who is making Operation jokes with the highly sensitive dynamite, that's setting some flags up. So I think Jack, when he's saying we're going to have a lock problem, you know, it has as much to do very seriously with this joke that he's making. It's like, not funny. That's not funny. And that's very dangerous. This is the type of person you are. I, w- I think it would have been amazing if, you know, once once the conflict comes to a head in a couple seasons, Jack just brings it up again like, well, you made the operation joke. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, God, it's it's amazing. That's really good stuff. Yeah. So I guess segueing here into our next topic, we're going back to the it was alluded to in the Michael and Jin stuff. Uh, it's raft talk, raft talk, because I mean, it's it's a bottle. It's a bottle gimmick. You know, you put these four guys onto a raft for three for basically two a two hour episode. There's really not much you can do with them except to really make things make them flesh things out and it's really michael and the other three guys and you have all these different scenes that are really a lot of fun from a character perspective you have michael and walt talking and walt just kind of asks michael you know why didn't it work out with you and my mom and i think that's fun in comparison to some of these flashback scenes where you have michael like and walt really not getting along and walt watching power rangers at like five in the morning and then michael calling his mom and being like walt's not part of the plan i have no idea how to do this uh, we talked about some of the michael and Jin stuff the michael and sawyer stuff is really interesting too because it's so back and forth uh, because I feel like with every step forward their relationship takes when, you know, they're talking about their fathers or Sawyer finally admits to Michael that, like, I kind of got, got onto the raft because I kind of have a death wish. It's two steps back when Michael finds the gun that Jack gave Sawyer and he kind of becomes suspicious and goes into his Michael paranoia and thinks that Sawyer might be out to, like, kill him. Right. The only downside of that is it's, like, directly setting up a drift which is just a, a dreadful, a fairly dreadful episode of Lost. Yeah, when I, when I saw S- uh, Sawyer get shot in the soldier and goes into the water, I'm like, oh no. Yeah. I, now I, I, I had my own personal uh, Desmond Hume-esque flash to when Sawyer had to dig the bullet out of his shoulder with his own hands. Yeah, I'm, I'm just looking back at the Lost Lives official episode rankings that we did. Uh, and Mike Bloom, when you had your very first pick, pick 106. The 106th best episode of Lost is adrift, according to our <laughs> rankings. Uh, so no, no love lost for, for you and the Mike and Sawyer stuff on the on the raft uh, come season two, but you like it here in season one. Yeah, I really like it, especially because again, these are just like kind of Michael and Jen. These are two guys that didn't necessarily see eye to eye. We even see a little bit of them at odds in the first hour when it seems like Michael is starting to trust more in Jin than Sawyer and kind of says like, okay, Sawyer, you go off and uh, you, you don't work on this. And you know, when the raft uh, doesn't, when it kind of botches its first attempt to get into the water, uh, he automatically blames Sawyer. So there's automatically, there's, there's some tension there. Uh, and I love how it's, it's sort of resolved for a second until even like when, uh, even when like their their the radar stuff goes off with the boat, they're arguing about when setting up the signal flare. Michael kind of snipes at Sawyer like, "Oh, you're gonna shoot him." Right. And I think yeah. that uh, I think that's that's when things kind of become undone between the two of them. Right. I mean, I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit more, but even just that that scene on the raft right before uh, Mr. Friendly and the others shows up, uh, the like the the frenetic pace and just like the panic in everybody is so good. Yeah. And especially, you know, again, great sound editing on this show. Uh, just the fact that there's no music, it's just scored by this constant beeping of the boat on the radar it just makes things. It's almost like it's like you could equate it to like a time bomb going off, you know, that there's like almost a counter countdown. Oh, don't say that. Poor Michael. Yeah, that uh, if, if he uh, <laughs> just, oh, just spray that time bomb with he, all the antifreeze you've got. Stay yeah, exactly. here forever. <laughs> yeah, don't don't spray the radar with antifreeze, though, right. Michael. That would that would not make things good. That might have been better. 
<laughs> that's gonna be true like now 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 we know we won't even know if they're coming now we we know now they were screwed no matter what yeah, yeah very much so all right let's let's hear number 15 another of these lost numbers 16 was raft talk what's 15 15 hurly bird hurly bird hurly bird making hurly. an appearance you know one of one of the things that one of the one of the many things from this episode that got lost fans in a in a tizzy over the next few months of things to just theorize and talk about is the bird that people could have sworn said hurley's name as it flew off yeah yeah absolutely true where do we get the hurley bird in this episode uh it comes i believe in between hours two and three they're just walking along and then i think they just hear a bird and it flies off oh my god uh, and we think it's and they think it says hurley's name though we get it again in the beginning of hour three when the the monster ends up going after Locke. and i think we hear the hurley bird once more and i don't know if that means that like i wonder if maybe the hurley i mean now that we look back at the at the whole man in black thing do we think that that the hurley bird might have been the man in black and that's why his uh that's why, you know, we, we talk about how the smoke monster is kind of a, a, an aggregation of a bunch of different noises from a character's certain past. Do you think that maybe that since we hear the Hurley bird when the smoke monster comes that they're kind of one in the same? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I have to go back and look at the new man in charge, the, the epilogue of Lost. Uh, but I know that like one of the many things that they just like kind of casually answer is they just like have a Hurley bird that just like straight up says Hurley. Uh, but I, I don't remember like what their explanation of that was. But but I mean, and they, they, you know, it's just it's just one of those fun little things. I mean, this is the thing. You know, people talk about how Lost never answered anything, and they set up all these mysteries never to answer them. I think a lot of this stuff, you know, got expanded in the minds of super creative fans who just could not stop thinking about the show. Really active imaginations, uh, and I think that the Hurley Bird is a really good example of something that was just this weird little thing that fans latched onto, and the writers ended up having fun with. You know, having having the Hurley Bird show up in the season two finale and other places. I think it's just the writers having some fun. Uh, and I, I love that they address it in the new man in charge and they totally didn't have to, but it's great. First sighting the Hurley bird. I like that. And, it, and it's also a fun little kind of, if you want to equate it to Hurley's paranoia as well, because we don't get, he hasn't found the numbers are on the hatch yet, but you can see, you know, after his flashback, he's chanting the numbers to himself. So after seeing the numbers episode and you start to see a little bit into Hurley's psychology, the bird could also be kind of a manifestation of his sort of paranoia about the, about the outside world and how he's the unluckiest person on earth. As long as there's no Dave bird. <laughs> I just imagine the guy playing Dave dressed yeah. up as a bird now, <laughs> like Birdman. Get some lasagna for the road, dude. Yeah. I actually heard the Hurley, uh, the Hurley getting ready for the airport scene could be, could have been done as like a Birdman esque single shot thing. Oh, it's terrific. That would have been amazing. That sequence is, I mean, if we ever did like the top Hurley moments as a podcast, that would be pretty high up on the list. Well, we'll, we'll have some time to talk about it in a little bit. All right. Okay. So let's go to 14. 14. So we're going back to Locke kind of being an asshole again. Uh, these, these are the little moments that are sprinkled throughout the episode where Locke starts to undermine Jack's leadership. Okay. Uh, um, I think we see a little bit in this season about how Jack may be pushing against Jack's leadership a little bit. And we'll get specifically at the end of like season three, beginning of season four, the definitive separation between the two of them. But we get glimpses here in these, in these three hours. Like there's, uh, some, you know, and within all this dynamite stuff, it's going to be Jack's going to suggest a plan and Locke is going to say, no, let's do something different. And then they're going to go with Locke's plan. Right. And I'm sure that is not something that Jack is happy with. And I know one of them is like, Jack's like, okay, let's go off with the dynamite. And Locke's like, no, we should take, 
multiple sticks of dynamite and then we'll stagger our walking and everyone's like good idea lock yeah let's do that so i can't imagine jack is happy with that no there's not a lot that lock does that jack is happy with especially because he wanted to kill lock like five minutes earlier uh not not his favorite guy on the beach for sure and it's it is interesting you know lock is in, in a lot of ways he is this lone wolf type of character he's the guy who feels that they're in the right place at the right time and everybody's supposed to be there and um you know he kind of holds those cards fairly close to the vest. Um, but starting with this moment, you know, starting with this mission to, to get everybody inside the hatch, once he decides that the hatch, uh, really once the, the, the decision is made for him by Saeed um, in, uh, I believe that's uh, the greater good uh, when he says like, now you're going to take me to the hatch. Once the hatch secret is exposed and everybody knows about this thing, uh, I think Locke kind of makes the active choice to sort of repivot and become more of a leader of men. And when he starts to step up and make those calls, it really does ruffle Jack's feathers pretty hard. It even yeah. rustles them. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's, it's good stuff. Yeah. And he's also the one that suggests they draw straws uh, because Jack is a member one of the, the ones who initially says like, no, I'm going to take the dynamite. Yes. And Doc's like, no, we should, we should draw straws though. I can only imagine if there was probably something on the cutting room floor where they drew straws and Kate got it. And Locke says, well, let's start arranging Kate's funeral now. Yeah. What a dick. Everyone's just like, oh, Locke, oh, don't too soon, too soon, <laughs> too soon, way too soon. Um, all right. What do we got at 13? Unlucky 13. Unlucky 13 is one of the unluckier characters in season six. Dr. Saeed, medicine man. Dr. Saeed, medicine man. All right. I was hoping we would get to talk about this. And his how gunpowder can be is like the duct tape of medicine. It can be used <laughs> for anything. Oh, man. Yeah. You know, very easy to just look at Charlie Pace's comic relief or the guy who is tortured by his drug addiction and, and all of these things. Um, but in in truth, you know, Charlie is a little bit of a badass in his own right. And it's not just that he's going to sacrifice himself in the season three finale. He's going to finally kind of uh, go through with Desmond's visions of Charlie always dying. There are moments along the way where Charlie just really steps up to the plate and does something really awesome. Um, and in this case, it's like a passive doing something awesome, but just the way that he's up for it is, is really cool. You know, he gets hit with one of Rousseau's traps. He gets this cut over his eye. He's bleeding so badly that he's going to need to turn around unless Saeed can do something right there on the spot. And it's even Saeed is like, you don't want me to do this. Uh, and Charlie's like, no, I want you to do this. I want you, to, you're, you must have some field medicine training. You must know what you're able to do here uh and Saeed's like all right this is gonna suck and he pours the gunpowder in his wound and lights it uh and it's pretty amazing that he just doesn't turn into two-face there yeah there, yeah he lights freaking gunpowder on his face i'm surprised hey i'm surprised two pace, I, two I, pace I, is what i is what two, I two pace well i mean he's sort of a two pace in season two i guess yes he is um i it's it's weird to me that like, I just don't understand the science behind it. I'm not a scientist. I'm not, an, I'm not an artist. Maybe arts could, could have explained it to me uh, before he, he perished, but I just don't know. Like how does do the chemical reactions close up a wound in that regard? I don't know. I don't know. We got it. We got to get a doctor on the line here. Any doctors out there? Somebody let us know. Somebody let us know. Hit us up on the feedback. Postshowrecaps.com slash feedback. Explain this one to us. Yeah, because I, I just, I, I, I wonder. Because A, we don't know how it works, and B, we would be horrible in this situation. I don't think that either you or I, Mike, uh, would have the bravery of Charlie here. We'd be like, nope, I'll just go back to the beach. Nope. Yeah, the, Everything's you take, fine. You got, you got the baby, right? You got to take care of the baby. You know Russo. It'll you, heal. I'll be, a, I'll be a third wheel. It would be pretty awkward. You just go. <laughs> Get me some ice. I'm good. It's merely a flesh wound. Just a flesh Just a scratch. Just a scratch. Uh, yeah. No, that's, I, it's good. It's good. I love it. Yeah. I, I also wonder if Saeed was just being like, okay, uh, 
I don't really know what to do here. Uh, okay, let me cut open this bullet. Yeah, improvising. Uh, ex- uh, explosion will help. And Charlie's like, oh, I feel cured. But he still has like copious amounts of blood just pouring out of his wound. You know, what's the worst thing that happens? Charlie's head explodes and Saeed is uh, now free to go full Saeed <laughs> speed and save the baby. And he's like, yeah, we lost Charlie. But, you know, he's lost people in war before. It wouldn't be the end of the world. Yeah, Charlie lost his head in more the reason, more ways than one. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's move on to 12. Number 12, Jack has control problems. Yeah, he does. Uh, and this is sort of stemming off of what I talked about uh, just a couple of reasons ago with Locke undermining Jack's leadership. This is specifically when Jack says he put the dynamite in Kate's bag, but actually put it in his own. Yeah, this is Jack being an asshole. Jack being yeah. an asshole with the dynamite would also be an appropriate description of this. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of people are just assholes with this dynamite. So rude after we lost Mr. Arst. Uh, but yeah, I think I think, again, we're starting to plant the seeds a little bit if the, if the, of this whole Jack versus Locke rivalry that some people are going to become not so happy about Jack's leadership style. And it's not more prevalent here than Kate, who is really, really pissed that Jack flat out lied to her and said, you know what? No, I'm going to screw the straws. I'm taking the dynamite back. Yeah. Something I talk about a lot on Lost Lives is how uh, it's like the setup of Jack and Sawyer, how Sawyer is the guy who is actually a hero in like an asshole's clothing. And Jack is actually an asshole in hero's clothing. And like he has to he has to reform himself so that he's actually worthy of the hero clothes that he's wearing. Uh, And there's a lot of moments early on before you realize even that this is the direction the show is going in. Like, I feel like that flag is really planted in the season three finale. And going forward, you start to realize that Jack really is making shitty calls and is you know very much directly or at least indirectly responsible for a lot of people getting hurt and killed um but i think even going back as early as season one like you can see moments like this where jack is you know he's taking the dynamite away from from kate and that seems like a fairly arbitrary thing but in reality that's him you know making calls that aren't his to make um so there's a lot of jack being an asshole in season one and i think this is a great moment of jack being a dick yeah, and I, I completely agree with you, but I think it makes it more interesting, too. I mean, I, I don't want to cross the streams too much, but I know you talk a lot on your Game of Thrones coverage with Rob Sesternino about how, at the moment we're recording this, you know, Daenerys Targaryen is in Marine trying to lead her people, and we're seeing a lot of the falls in her leadership style. And I enjoy seeing that a lot more than someone who is the perfect leader. And I think it's fun to watch Jack go through these growing pains. And it's also fun, if we're contrasting the end in this episode, to watch, you know, this is sort of the the large, the smaller scale version of Jack drinking the river water to become the new Jacob in a way, right? In terms of him kind of saddling this entire responsibility and p- literally putting his life on the line for this one task, be it blowing up the hatch or protecting the island. Yeah, interesting, interesting comparison. All right, let's let's move it along. Let's go to eleven. Uh, so we're once again going to go back to the Saeed stuff. This is the general, I'd say, uh, Saeed and Charlie pairing in these three hours because we don't see too much of it in season one. Uh, and this is a fun. That's why one of the reasons why many reasons why I love Exodus is because it allows for a lot of different permutations of people that we, we haven't really experienced yet. You know, Michael and Sawyer is a big one, as we talked about before. And I think Charlie and Saeed is another one. And it's a fun example of like the cool. It's it's like the uh, it's a lethal weapon pairing, right? It's it's a very cool calm and collected guy versus the kind the guy that's like hot off the handle underrated buddy comedy duo this these two yeah i think i would you know if if uh if yeah, they we always a- talk about sawyer and miles but this is pretty good too 
Yeah, if they if they had a, a bottle episode or a, a, an episode of that buddy cop show where it just went to Saeed and Charlie in the precinct, uh, I think that would that would be an enjoyable episode by the fans. Yeah, Lost Lost does this. You know, Lost has these. Um, you know, everybody always thinks of chocolate and peanut butter, peanut butter and jelly, peas and carrots. Like, what are the natural pairings? You know, what are what are the things that that you expect? You know, you expect a Jack and Locke or a Jack and Kate or a Jack and Sawyer. Uh, you know, Saeed and Charlie is not a combo that you think of too often, but it works really well when it happens. You know, there are times when combos don't necessarily work out fantastically talking about you know some of the Saeed and Shannon scenes that mm-hmm. that aren't that aren't so great but a, one of Lost's strengths in my opinion is when they mix characters that you don't necessarily expect to see on screen together really working out um you know even even Desmond and Saeed is is a great combo that you wouldn't really think of those two hanging out together too much but you get them as the core of the of the constant uh of the stuff that's happening in in present day so I think that's one of Lost's strengths and I think that Saeed and Charlie here that's a it's a really good duo in this episode yeah. And I think like it's a it's, fair, it's a fairly boring storyline that they're on, but just the strength of the two characters makes it engaging. Yeah. And especially because I think initially going into it, I think Saeed was very hesitant to have Charlie along for a variety of reasons, especially as we alluded to before that Charlie had just murdered a person and that he thought that Charlie was still kind of coping with that and might be a little bit uh, off the handle. But I think that part of me thinks that somewhere in Saeed's deep psychology, I think his relationship with Nadia makes him sort of see what Charlie sees his purposes here, which is to really, you know, make up to be the hero in front of Claire. And I think that sort of gives him a little bit of motive to say, okay, Charlie, you can come along and help. Yeah. All right. Top 10. Let's kick top it off. Top 10, baby. All right. So top 10 is, uh, top 10 is a fun one. Uh, so we just talked about the silent Saeed Charlie pairing. We're going to go to some more general themes about the show uh, that will definitely come up again and again over the course of the next five seasons, especially when we get to Jacob. Uh, number 10 is that there's a lot of talk about the per- everyone's purpose of being on the island in this episode specifically. And you have it from two different sides, obviously. And we'll, again, we'll get to this later uh, when Locke talks to Jack and saying like, you know, we were sent here for a purpose. The one that's really interesting to me is in the caves in one of the, in like the second hour or so it's, it's son and it's Shannon and it's Claire. And they're talking about like, you know, uh, son thinks that they're being brought to the Island because they were punished for something. And you have on the, on the other side of that, you have Claire who's kind of obviously in a, in a different mindset at the time saying that the, you know, there's no such thing as fate. We're just here. Uh, and I think it's, it's a fun little microcosm of what the fans were feeling at the same time. You know, I think son saying, if, asking if they were punished and that's why they were brought to the Island is a nice little lampshade of the fans trying to come up with a theory that they're in purgatory, right? Quickly debunked. So I think it's fun that again, Locke is going to become the main proponent behind, like we were brought to this Island for a reason in general, but it's fun to hear other characters talk about it again, especially in the context of son, who I think with all the Mr. Pake stuff feels that she was brought to this Island because of the stuff she had done in the past. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I, I love that aspect of, of the early seasons of lost where people are really wondering like, what the F did I do to deserve being here? Um, and like, if that seems like a question that you don't want to dig into too deeply because you'll get to the answer actually a lot faster than you think. Uh, like you'll, you'll unearth so many bones. Like you'll, you'll come up with so many different, and not, not just Adam and Eve, not just Adam, 
Adam and Eve, but you'll come up with other skeletons from your closet. You know, lots of things that you've done in your past. Uh, you know, we, we used to think that there were just like these defining bad things that people had in their past. And then we would get multiple flashback episodes for, for characters. Like you would find out that Jack was um, not just did he have a terrible relationship with his dad, uh, but he was married once and his marriage went south. Uh, you know, you find out that not only was son's big issue that her husband was this terrible uh, hitman potentially, but it was such a bad thing for their marriage that she ends up having an affair. So there's just all of these, there's so many things in these people's past, you know, probably things that they could have done more flashbacks about that they'd never end up getting a chance to do where you could really dig deep into why these people are here. What did I do to deserve this? Um, and I think that that's a, it's a really interesting thing that the show chews on in probably the first, certainly the first season. Um, and then maybe to a lesser degree in seasons two and three, when the flashbacks start to get a little bit stale. Yeah. Um, but I, but I really love all of that stuff in season one. And I think that th- this scene you're talking about in the caves with, with son um, and, and Shannon and Claire, I think it's, you know, they, they do have the D plot of the episode for sure. But this is a really interesting scene that I think all three <laughs> of them really do well. They can't do anything else in the cave, so they might as well just wax poetic about why they're there. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's sort of like it's the, it's the waiting for Godot version of Lost. <laughs> sure. All right, well, let's wait no further for number nine. Number nine, the Black Rock being a freaking ship. Yeah, what about that, right? Uh, what did you think the Black Rock was before you found out that it was a freaking ship? I want to come up with something creative, but I just thought it was a giant rock. Yeah, it's just a giant black rock. I mean, I remember just like my my brain going wild with theories of what is the black rock. Like you would think that it was probably like the headquarters of the others or it was like some actual mystical black rock on the island where horrible things were, you know, descended from. Like it's like maybe some dark crystal where the monster lives or any of these things. No, it's just the name of a ship. Just the and, name of a ship. And that's one of those game-changing moments and with, in an in episode that is full of game-changing moments. And it's a fun way to end that first hour, too, uh, where, you know, there's a lot of different little cliffhangers that, that lead us from hour one into hour two slash three. And this one of them being that, oh, yeah, there's also this random, you know, schooner from like the 18 or 1700s that's washed up on shore. I think that just... That's one of those. It's not a schooner. It's a sailboat. A sail. I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm not very. Despite being from Connecticut, I'm not very nautical. A schooner is a sailboat. Uh, so I, uh, I, it probably missed the the directions to the Catalina wine mixer. Uh, but I think that the it's it's just fun to see that happen because it that opens up so many questions of like okay wait a minute, where were, where did these people go? Right. You know, how long has this been here? How did the boat even get, you know, it's in the middle of the jungle. How did that happen? And obviously we'll find out very, very far in the future in Abiturno. But I think this is just one of those little fun things that the creators did in the finale to uh, really just throw out a bunch of different questions that will try to satiate people's appetites over the summer. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, the, the arrival of the Black Rock was fantastic. Uh, and I just, I mean, I, however many questions I had about the thing before I knew what it was just amplified the moment that we find out that it's a freaking ship. Uh, and it's a, it's a great set piece on Lost. You know, it's at the center of a lot of history on this island. It's what brought Richard Alpert here. We don't know that yet. It's uh, what destroyed the four-toed statue. We don't know that yet. We don't even know that there's a four-toed statue yet. Uh, So there's a lot of cool things that stem from the Black Rock. It's going to be the source of all the dynamite that we're going to see throughout the show. Uh, So terrific, terrific stuff with the Black Rock. Terrific, as Frank Lopitas would say. Yeah, absolutely. And I do love that. uh, I believe it's Locke knows a lot 
a lot about it, more about history than we would think. He seems like one of those pawn shop guys who he just starts checked out the ship. He's like, Oh yes, it's from roughly this time period. They were transporting yes. mining equipment. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He knows a lot. He knows a lot. All right. Let's go to loss number eight. All right. So loss number eight, uh, which is one of the final things that we'll see in this episode is the final montage. We love our montages here on lost lips, the final montage of everyone getting on the plane. Uh, and I think the flashbacks in this episode in general are awesome because this is again aside from like seeing hurley get arrested on the tv in the station where sawyer's uh, where sawyer is we don't really see a lot of the characters interacting at all directly or talking to each other and we get glimpses of that in this in throughout these flashbacks and we see it directly in this final montage which is you know everyone getting on the plane they're in their various states of life you know you have you have again that really heartbreaking moment where shannon's freaking out about her inhaler and boone gives it to her you have Locke being very sullen about the fact that you know he really can't do anything he had to have people literally carry him onto the plane uh hurley just made it on and he gives that little thumbs up to walt which is so goofy and walt is actually able to look up from his from his game boy for once in like the next three hours uh to actually do something and not but not talk to his father yeah we find uh, out that the comic book is hurley's yeah so there's there's a lot of fun little moments here and i think it's a it's it's fun to like kind of end at the beginning if that makes sense considering that we're we're, we're ending those the flashbacks for season one shortly before you know the plane takes off and then everything goes to hell it's fun to kind of look at to really sum up in our heads like okay this is where everyone was before the plane crashed and it's it's a whole aggregation of all the flashbacks that we've been seeing in these 20 plus episodes yeah i like it too i i I think it's i think it's a cool idea that we're with the finale of season one of lost you know the flashbacks are focused on what these people what were their lives like in the final moments before their lives changed forever you know what was what was life like before they knew what the island was before they knew what a smoke monster was that there was an, a tropical island somewhere with polar bears on it before they knew about this French signal that's been playing for years and years and years you know what was their life like before they knew each other um, and it's a, it's a simpler time that we're that we're getting to see even though of course it's also a complicated time in the lives for a lot of these people um, but you know it's it's more straightforward than how it will be once they crash upon this island but I like that as as sort of the final note that you're leaving season one on because their lives are about to change when that airplane cracks in the middle of the sky um, and lost is about to change as dramatically um, as soon as we go down into the hatch. And yeah, that was a really tough summer to endure wondering what's down there, you know, wondering what's what's beneath, uh, you know, what what's down here with this with this broken ladder. And we're looking up at Jack and Locke. What are we what are we coming down to and when are we going to find out? Uh, that was really difficult to endure. But it was it was such a game changer when we did finally find out what's down there with Desmond and the button and all of this stuff that's going to completely change the face of Lost forever. And I think that it, there's something really cool on a meta level that the flashback of this episode is similarly focused on what these lives of these characters that we're going to know and love for the next you know six seasons what were those lives like right before they changed forever so i think i think that there's a cool parallel there yeah and i i'd say you you just mentioned briefly about how you you know the, the flashbacks did get a little stale in seasons two and three in my opinion if this was the last of the flashbacks we'd seen until the big game changer of the flash forward at the season three finale i actually would have been pretty happy with it sure i mean there's still stuff that we'll get that that i like you know uh finding out about how john Locke gets in a wheelchair just as one example but the you know this is this is um i i wouldn't say it's the last great flashback but it's a tremendous flashback it's a tremendous use of the flashback format yeah i agree all right let's go to seven 
Lucky seven. Lucky seven. Lucky uh, number seven. And to go to go with uh, to go with seven, you gotta you gotta go back to the quants here. And I talked about it before, but it's the son giving Jin the Korean to English dictionary before the raft takes off. And so thoughtful. So and it's it's I mean, first of all, yes, very thoughtful, very practical because he's going to be stranded in the middle of the ocean without her and with these guys that only speak English. So very practical, but so emotional because also at the same time, they like apologize to each other and they finally are able to say goodbye and kind of come to terms with the fact that he's leaving on the raft, which is a a very, very heartbreaking considering that we're also they're also not going to be reunited for like another like two seasons or like another like season and a half. But it's just so. It's it's just such a fun scene because even within this, you have Jin. He echoes what Sun's sentiments were before about how he feels like he was brought, or some will echo his sentiments later, I should say, because this comes first chronologically, that he says, you know, I feel like I have to go because I I was brought to this island because I was punished, and I want to save you, and I want to get you off this island. And I think, again, it's been a very weird relationship between the two of them, uh, both on the island and off through flashbacks. And I think having the two of them come back together before he leaves uh, is is for a Kwan lover like me, you can't get any better than that. And yeah. it's it's so well done and it's so well acted and it's so simple, but I love it. It's one of their best scenes together in the whole series. Uh, it's, yeah. it's really, really moving stuff. And it is the final note that is going to launch us into the to the raft launch, which I'm sure we're talking about later. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. So I don't need to get into it in, in too much detail right now. But it's it's a it's such a beautiful scene between these two. And, you know, I sometimes give uh, Jin and Son some crap for lacking some sexual chemistry. Uh, I, I do think that that's the case for a lot of Lost, uh, but like you do get a real romantic chemistry in this scene, and it's it's pretty impressive considering we've just spent all of season one of Lost pretty much loathing Jin, uh, yeah. you know, not having a lot of fondness for Jin until you get to his episode where you find out he didn't burn the raft. He's not a hit man. He hates his job as much as Sun hates his job, if not more. Um, and and to get from that character, you know fairly recently at this point i off the top of my head couldn't tell you which episode that uh which episode number that was um but not too long before exodus to get from from there to the Jin here who is really just you know emotionally crushing you um with this scene where he's saying i've been punished and i have to get you i'm going to save you son um you know it's it's really a testament to the writing and just like the really subtle character work that's done on the show that is a huge part of the reason why something like lost was so special at the time and why it really um you can't try to replicate this show you know there's just something really natural about it and i think that this scene is a real testament to that yeah and it, it harkens back to one of the first scenes we see of Jin and Sun in the flashbacks which is Jin proposing to Sun because I do feel like especially over the course of season one we haven't exactly seen them be the most loving couple uh, especially considering there was this weird like awkward stuff between Sun and Michael and that's even in a little bit of the rap scene as well when they try to say goodbye to each other and yes. there's a, like really awkward friend zone handshake so uh, awkward but I would you know I'm surprised Locke wasn't there to comment on it uh, if only oh it looks like you're in the friend zone welcome yes. to the club Join the club. Join the club. <laughs> uh, I think that, yeah, and like you said, I think it's nice to be right and reminded sometimes of like he really does love her, in spite of all the the conflict that's erupted on them between them, both on the island and off. He really does care for her. So to have him say that, it reminds me of the guy that you know gave her that white orchid when uh, not the orchid station, uh, the white orchid when when they were all the way back in Korea. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's go to Oceanic number six. 
Oceanic number six, and we're actually not going to be talking about, we're going to be talking about something that kind of plagued the Oceanic six in the last couple of hours. And this was, again, in one of those other game-changing moments. It was seeing the monster for the first time on yeah, screen. Yeah, seeing the actual wisp of smoke. Yes, and but people still not believing that that was the monster for a long time for a long time for a very long time um yeah i had uh i had uh, a friend who watched exodus as their very first episode of lost and i was like trying to explain lost to him um as as it was going or like right before we sat down to watch the episode and you know i'd explain there's a monster on here and no one really knows what it is and like we've been wondering all season long when are we going to see it what is it is it a dinosaur is it a dragon is it something else what is it and we we see this whisper of smoke for the first time and he just you know looks at me as soon as that happens he goes nanobots it's Mm. nanobots it's nanobots uh everybody on this island is on a reality television show and these are nanobots that are following them around and it's cameras and stuff like that it's like this is a crazy theory i don't know if i believe it but it's pretty amazing that this is something that you've just come up with having watched this episode as your first episode of lost uh and it's just a power to like the the weirdness just the visual weirdness of seeing the monster for the first time gets your head spinning in so many crazy directions i don't remember if i had a theory i don't think that i subscribed to the nanobots theory but a lot of people had the nanobots theory um and it was just i don't know it it was it was very very you know very interesting and the other thing that you hear about is like rousseau calls it a security system and i don't know if that ever really holds up when when we get the full scope of what the the man in black is i've yet to hear a, a very satisfying explanation for how you can call the man that we know as the man in black a security system, especially because he's like a, if he's a security system, then he's like a security system that hates himself. He's a self-loathing <laughs> security system. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I, I find that to be hollow. Uh, but there was just, there was so much in just seeing that wisp of smoke was just a, a ridiculous, ridiculous moment. Yeah. And it's, it's a lot of fun because we also get to see its power as well. I mean, I, we obviously saw uh, Greg Grunberg's pilot, meet his demise when he's pulled out of the plane uh, in the first at the end of the the first hour of the lost pilot but to have to see john Locke actually get like pulled up by it and almost dragged out into this weird little like burrow hole uh spoke a lot to like how dangerous the monster can be and how john Locke might have been wrong about what you know i think he thinks that the monster was coming after him, though i think we find out later that maybe the monster was trying to get him to use him as sort of an envoy uh but it's it's fun to watch the the monster kind of go around and terrorize people because it has it hasn't happened for a while in lost season one no not for a while it's been it's been a minute yeah um all right top five baby what do we got at number five top five baby rest in peace arse slash arnst uh arnst 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 he is he is the loudest example of a red shirt i think i've ever seen in any form of popular culture he's terrific he really is and he's he's a character that is that is still just so near and dear to my heart i just uh probably because i swallowed some arse when he blew up and it's been lodged in my chest ever since so you're you have a little bit of loss in uh, arnst inside you yeah i have a little bit of arse inside me just a touch just the tip uh, but yeah, this is, I mean, he has a lot of killer scenes here. I mean, just saying a few, I mean, there's the one where, you know, him and Hurley are walking through the jungle and that's the, where we talked about where we find out his first name is Leslie and he has that nice little delivered linebacker where he's like, ours is fine. Ours is totally fine. And of course, this is how, you know, I was, I was about like, yeah, I was a teenager when this first came out. That's just, this is how I learned how dynamite was created. Uh-huh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> With uh, I, I just love Ars's little like sanctimonious. He must be like the biggest asshole of a teacher. Like, could you imagine him being him like, all right, kids, 
you, today we're going to learn about dynamite. Now, you ever wonder why you don't know about the guy who invented nitroglycerin? Right. Because he blew up. Yeah. He's also, he's kind of being an arsehole himself. He is a being a huge arsehole here. And, but he's also, he's an arsehole since like the first this hour. Is, where he's this like, is arse being an asshole about the dynamite. Yeah. Every, again. <laughs> the end of the trilogy of assholes about the dynamite. It's arsed. Yeah, Ars is a completely triumvirate of dynamite assholes. Yes. Uh, I, but it's so funny, even in the first hour when he's like, you have to take me because I know the dynamite. And even he's a huge, he is a huge arsehole here about like, you know what happens to dynamite in this weather? It sweats. It sweats. And like you, again, if Locke does know, not know how to read a room, Ars does not know how to read a building because he just does not get any sense of like how to, how to deliver things to help make people feel better about things. No. No, he's he's really terrible. Um, I I remember when when Daniel Roebuck was was cast as Arst before he even made his first appearance. You know, I was I was reading Lost forums at that time already, uh, and there was a lot of chatter about how this character Arst is going to get introduced and he's going to be a significant character moving forward and all of that stuff. Obviously, we know that he's just going to get blown up and he's going to show up again, but only in a handful of guest appearances. Do you think that the show is there room for Arst moving forward? Do you think that Arst is a character? that had he survived this moment had this not happened had he not blown up can you see a place for arst in the future of lost or is this really the only way it could yeah i do not i think that he would go the nicky and paolo route very soon if he stayed forward in season two i think people were fine with having him prevalent in like three or four episodes near the end of the season if you had to keep going it makes him a much more like easily endearing character than than the nicky's and paolo's who exactly they're welcome if you had him keep like standing in the back and just because he also like i don't know what sort of redeeming story arc he would have had you know considering that he just again seems like an arnst hole who seems like he knows everything and wants everyone to know that he knows everything so i could totally see fans writing in being like can you just kill this guy yes please yes please yeah i can see that i can see that as well all right well r.i.p arsehole let's move on to loss number four so we talked about montages beforehand. Let's go with another one. You called this one of the best Hurley flashbacks ever. I would totally agree. This is the comes in the middle of like the third hour. It is Hurley's montage of waking up late and working against fate to get to the plane on time. Yeah, there's just so much here, you know, like seeing like the lost numbers on the soccer jerseys of the kids. Like there's just a lot of there's a lot of great Easter eggs in in this sequence. And it's just the, the comedic timing is amazing. Like him getting the scooter from the guy, like paying him all the money. It's Six, paying him sixteen hundred dollars. It's a, it's amazing yeah just like how prevalent the numbers are in this scene is just is terrific and another great use of charlie is like some of us have a plane to to catch yeah uh, you know in the elevator and there's just you know i i love seeing hurley the millionaire you know you don't see a ton of that on the first season of lost you know you don't really find out about it until numbers which is fairly deep into season one but i really love him using that as kind of his superpower in in this moment here um him having to buy the two seats is so sad uh, i know <laughs> there's just a, a ton of great hurleyisms here um and you know it it's actually you know we were we were talking about this when when you and i were talking about the end you know very recently mike we um we talked about how Hurley like when, when you go back and you watch Lost and you know that Hurley is going to wind up being the king of the mountain you know the, the king of the island he's going to be the guy in charge he's going to be the new Jacob um, you can look at a moment like this which is just just funny on paper just the the whole flashback scene of him running through the airport and all of this stuff but he's really moving heaven and hell to yeah. to get to this plane he is doing amazing things he's he's doing you know miraculous things to catch his his airplane on time I don't know how many like 
getting your airplane on time stories you have, Mike. I have a few, and it's a stressful situation. It is a really, really super stressful situation that does feel like kind of like an epic odyssey, like an Odysseus type of quest. I, I do not, but that's only because after seeing this episode, I make sure to go extra, but make sure there's batteries in my clock and make sure I go extra early every time to the airport to avoid any sort of catastrophes between like customer service being slow as all hell or long lines at security. Yeah, there is a, we would be here for way too long, but there's a great Costa Rica story with me and my family. Uh, oh, the Costa Rica job, the Costa Rica job that I'm a specialist in. Yeah, there was a, there was this, uh, it, it, I'm getting, I'm getting angry thinking about it. Ask me to tell you sometime. I'll tell you, uh, yeah. but, but like there, there's this real feeling of just being like Herculean in your path to, to catch your airplane. And for the fact that he's able to do this, he's able to endure so much he's able to move mountains he's able to you know to part the sea and get to his seat on time which ends up being you know arguably not fantastic but in the in the end it's 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 good yeah. you know he's gonna he's literally gonna in the end in, it in, yeah, literally in the end it's gonna be good um but it's it's a cool testament to just the abilities of hurley from the very beginning you know from very early on in the series that hurley is a guy who can make miracles happen yeah. And I, I also love you got to love this sort of uh, quip at the end where the flight attendant says like, oh, it's your lucky day. You got to yeah. spawn the flight. And then again, like you said, when it turns out that that is so ironic in so many ways. But I think if that's that's really the last thing someone from the outside world told Hurley before getting on the plane. And I think those words have kind of stuck with him since. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Here we go. Top three. Number three. What do you got, Mike? Number three, we talked about it before. We've talked about Jack versus Locke throughout this countdown. It's no more prevalent here. This is the very first drop of the man of science versus man of faith motif. Yeah. Uh, very important, very important moment in the show. Yep. And this is where, I mean, I know for, there's a lot more reasons that I may have bought into this, but this is really when Jack does go to Kate and say we have a lock problem because as they're, uh, as they're rigging up the, you know, the dynamite and everything and they're, and they're walking on their way to the, they're making, they're preparing to blow up the hatch. This is really when, you know, before when the monster dragged Locke into the hole, Locke told Jack to let him go and say that, you know, he'll, he'll be fine. And he's so confused about that. And Locke basically says, Hey, we're being tested. You're a man of science. I'm a man of faith. And yeah. the island brought us here. And Jack is, you know, he's very astonished. He's a, he definitely lives up to the part that Locke has given him in terms of saying, I don't believe in destiny. You're a little crazy. And Doc Locke says, well, you do believe in destiny. You just don't know it yet. We and, all go a little mad sometimes. Yeah. And how true he was. Yes. Considering that again, comparing this to the end is just so much fun. Yeah, it's cool. It, it, it definitely is. I, I enjoyed going back to this episode uh, after we talked about the end. Um, but I think, I think what's cool about it too is the, the man of science versus man of faith stuff is not just a, you know, a great description of the John and, and Jack rivalry, but of, of a rivalry within fandom, you know, people who were really driven to have the answers to every single thing. People who thought that, you you know, the island itself was going to be explained by the Dharma Initiative once we find out what they are. I think I've said this in a past podcast with either Pete or Ben, one of my college friends who's appeared on this that I watched Lost with uh, for the first time when it was airing. Um, you know, we we in our in our college dorm room, we got to the Dharma Initiative. And we're like, all right, there you go. That's the answer to everything. It's science. Science, people. You know, this is the polar bear. This is the this is the everything. Uh, so we really thought that, you know, science was going to explain everything. And the further you get into Lost, it's like, nope, nope, there are just some things 
things that you can't explain. So I think man of science versus man of faith really um, did define sort of, um, you know, you, you could really talk about it as fans of science versus fans of faith in terms of lost fans. Um, and I, I, st- I think that, you know, in the end, uh, it, it does seem that the fans of faith uh, win out. I, I, we could be here for a long time if we really talked about that. But I think that there's, you know, an argument that it's really kind of a merging of the two. And that's what you see in Jack in the end, which is why he's such a great character is he's still got a little bit of that skeptical mind, but he also knows that some things he just need to take a leap of faith in. So to, to, to chart that and to have that first conversation here between Jack and John uh, is, is really terrific stuff. Really. Good. I don't know if, uh, if using gunpowder to close wounds is either science or fate. Yeah. It's a little bit of both. It's a little bit of both. I think so. He definitely put some faith into the fact that, oh, this, I don't think this is going to work. Yeah. I don't know if he's doing a Hail Mary or, Hail Mary or what, but uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's just kind of crossing his fingers and hoping it's going to work out. Yeah. Hoping it's going to work out. All right. What do we got at number two? What's the penultimate reason why Exodus is the best episode of Lost? The thing is, we're going to have to take the boy. We're going to have to take the boy. That was, again, talking about these game changing moments. That is a giant one. Yeah. Considering that we, we get we get it brought up even about ten minutes beforehand and Rousseau says, Well, I heard the, the others whispering that they were going to take the boy, which leads her to take Aaron. And to have this happen, it was giant because we had heard uh, Daniel had Rousseau had talked about these others for so long when we've seen her as a character. We finally get to see them for the first time. Granted, they're they're intentionally made up to look like they're derelicts uh even though they're not but you can derelict my never mind i can dare no 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 (laughs) no 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 um but i it's it's just it's so much fun because with this scene you know they send out the signal flare and we're with them we're thinking like great they're rescued this is awesome they're finally succeeding in their goal they're going to get off this island the the whole theme of lost season one is finally coming to a close and then you have them pull up in this boat and it turns out that nope uh tough luck guys it's actually these people that are from the island and want to kidnap this boy and kill you all and what ensues is uh is badass craziness it's a nightmare it's an absolute nightmare. It is nightmare fuel at its finest. It's this moment of extraordinary hope. You think like you think that you've already seen the pinnacle of hope on Lost with the with the raft launch, which I assume is what we're about to talk about next. Uh, mm-hmm. So we can we can even pair the two right now. I think um, is you know you you have that that pinnacle of, of hope and possibility and triumph in launching the raft. And here you go. You think that you're you, you might be able to to top that moment here. They've they've made contact with people, and so quickly it just turns into like the the dream come true into like the nightmare given form. Um, and that form is this hairy dude with this giant beard telling you the worst thing you could possibly hear. We're going to kidnap your son. Um, and it is so frightening. I, th- I think, you know, if we were to look at like the most horrifying moments in Lost, like what are like the most horror movie types of moments? This would be for me very high on the list. Could be number one. Um, you know, the fact that like the show ended its first season by kidnapping a child yeah. and they really don't resolve it for another full season pretty much is um, is really, really gutsy, really gutsy that this show uh, had the had the cojones to to do that so uh yeah the thing is we're gonna have to take the boy and i think that that's a line that you could say to a lot of people who aren't even like deep cut lost people and they would know what you're talking about it's also so freaking dark i mean i know this so is dark i know this is a network show that has some definite darker backstory specifically with people like john locke but i mean they 
they blew up the only source of hope yes. that these castaways have had and that they've been working on for Michael's been talking about this for the last like 10 episodes and building this raft mercilessly to so not only, you know, shoot Sawyer and have Jin dive after him. So they're out of the picture. And then Michael gets the crap kicked out of him and thrown in the water as well. And then to have them say, Oh, and just for extra measure, we're going to blow up your boat. is just like, it's, it's definitely adding insult to injury there of saying like, and we're going to spit on you on our way out. And, and you also have that amazing, you know, the meme esque Michael screaming for Walt, uh, which Whoa! is always, which even, which even cuts off mid sentence. Cause yeah. like, okay, I think we get it at this point. <laughs> yeah. 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 Absolutely. So yeah, that, all of those reasons, you know, you can, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it in a second here for the, for the actual raft launch being really a, a king of lost sequences, but uh, you know, it's, it's easy. To, to think about that first and to kind of forget about the, la- the, the raft exploding and, and Walt being taken away and Sawyer getting shot and being introduced to these new bad guys and like seeing the others uh, beyond just Ethan, like seeing them up close and yeah. seeing what, what they do. So it's, it, it really is such a nightmare. All right, well, let's talk about number one. Let's talk about the, the king of all lost sequences, the raft launch. Yeah, uh, there Josh, there are... There's there even are like, not, what else do we need to say? I know, there, there are not many things that make me emotional and shed a tear consistently in terms of pop culture. This is one of those few moments. Uh, even just watching it this past time, I got very verklempt. I needed a moment and it's just, it's beautiful in so many ways. And it's so complicated because you have the Jin and son stuff. You have the Vincent and Walt stuff. Oh, that that's such a killer. It really is. Vincent, uh, go back. <laughs> you have, you have the, uh, the Sawyer and Kate stuff when Sawyer realizes that Kate didn't say goodbye to her. And, you know, they kind of have a complicated romantic history as well. Yeah. And then you have the launch itself and you see all the mixed, the mixed reactions of people. And the fact that, again, this is the beacon of hope for these people and it is taking off and it's supposed to be the happily ever after to this fairy tale. And then the, Again, contrast that to the we're going to have to take the boy scene, which is sort of the dark epilogue to everything. But it is you talk so much about the Giacchino score. It is just it's a beautiful scene. It's an absolutely beautiful scene. Yeah, I when I when I did my personal episode rankings of Lost for MTV.com, I I put Exodus as number one. I, I maintain I think that this is every single thing that you know and love about Lost in one three hour episode. I think that Exodus is impossible to beat for my money. I agree. Um, you know, and, and your your mileage may vary. We didn't arrive here as Exodus at number one during the Lost Lives rankings. That was a committee vote. Uh, it landed at number five which is still very high. I wouldn't rank it anywhere outside of the top 10. I'd have a hard time entertaining that argument. You know, again, your mileage will vary, uh, but you're wrong. Uh, but I, I described, I described this as the, you know, the, 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 the raft scene itself. It really is for me, the king of all lost sequences. Um, and it is, it is the, the highlight of, you know, the beauty of the, of the Island, of the location that they shot this show on of, of Oahu and just how incredibly gorgeous it is. Um, it's a, it's a highlight of the, ensemble together and just these fantastic characters and actors and even the extras in the background who you know a lot of them are faces that you recognize throughout lost while the uh, while the oceanic people are still alive um you know it's again it's another it, there's a great great charlie and saeed moment where the two of them are hooting and hollering together um but re- really the the big one the the big one um is is michael giacchino and just like the the highlight of how much of a character his music is on this show and without michael giacchino score just how how different this series would be and how it just would not be the roaring success that it is so i think that the raft launch for me is the king of all lost sequences and i would probably say 
that the raft launch itself for me is what elevates Exodus to such heights. I agree. Um, you know, I think that there are things that if you really pushed and pulled and, you know, tugged at some strings in this episode, you wouldn't like what you see when you unravel it. Uh, but the, the sequence here with Giacchino scoring the raft sequence and, and finally some of our people getting off of this Island, which we've spent all season trying to do that is so ironclad and strong for me that any other holes in this episode, they go away from me. They go away completely. Uh, that's just how powerful this moment is. And uh, you can't talk about Exodus without this being your number one scene. You really yeah. can't. I complete. I, I mean, that's why that's exactly why I did. So and I mean, you also have to think about it from a writing perspective. Like, how are you going? You're going from one part of the finale into the other two parts of the finale. If you're trying to bring people in and keep them in for the next week, which they didn't really need to at that point, but they might as well had to from the network perspective. How are you going to do that? And so to, to also a fun part of this whole sequence as well is that you have this beautifully emotional scene and then it's so it fades out and then it, the screen fades back up and we just see this pillar of black smoke in yes. the background. And I think it's this fun symbol of like, yes, they did that. That's awesome. But there's still unfinished business here that needs to be taken care of. Yeah. To quote the dead, every silver lining has a touch of gray. And it's it's just a, a really cool reminder that as hopeful as it gets, uh, there is still just a little bit of danger lurking around the corner every time on Lost. Um, all right, Mike. Great list. Great list. Great times talking about Exodus. This is, yeah. this is the episode that bonds you and I. I think that this is the episode that solidified that you and I can be friends. So this is like uh, the version of our gunpowder wound treatment. Yes, exactly. Now we're now we're so now we have a, a a bond solidified through the experience we both went through. Yeah, I got hit in the face when we were doing the rankings. I got hit in the face when you when you pulled Trisha Tanaka is dead so early. Uh, my 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 head was was gushing blood right over my eye, and then you hovered over me and said, "It's okay, I can heal this." And you declared that Exodus is your favorite episode of Lost, and I was healed. And I said, I, I, "I'm pretty sure this works. I'm pretty sure this works." You were right. You took a leap of faith, and you were right. But no, like like we said at the top of the podcast, we were excited to talk about the end, and I think that that podcast came out really well. But you and I were really really jazzed to talk about Exodus because this is our favorite episode of Lost. Ten years later, uh, ten years after Exodus ended, hard hard to believe that. Uh, it has been so long, but, um, you know, it's been, it's been a fun 10 years since this episode came out. Yeah. I'm going to pop in memoirs of a geisha now. After this. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So let's, let's give a hashtag. If you got this part, do you have anything that comes to mind? I have a few, if you want to choose from, uh, so I have hashtag Aussie. Nope. Okay. In honor of, uh, of, of our friend, of our friend, uh, the honorable Thomas uh, Warren trust. Yes. Uh, I have hashtag two pace. And I have hashtag Lockword. Lockword. I like that. I have I have two pace as well. I have hashtag dynamite assholes, but I feel like that's going to take you down a Twitter <laughs> rabbit hole. You might not want to go. Rule thirty four. Yeah. Uh, I I have hashtag arsed hole as well. I, any of those will do. Let's let's uh, let's just settle for now on hashtag two pace. That's easy. Yeah. Uh, give us give us some hashtag two pace, and if you want to tag any of the, those others on there as well, that's fun. Uh, tweet at Mike. He's at a Mike Bloom type. I'm at Round Howard. Like ron howard but rounder uh thanks again everybody for listening to these uh these lost lives podcasts that came out pretty quickly together can't guarantee that that's always going to be our pace our two pace so, so uh, ration these <laughs> so ration these no we'll, but we'll we'll figure out a way to come back in june and like like i've said before i really do want to do at least once a month we ended up doing three this month i think that was a particularly strong month but we will come back with some more lost lives at some point in the near ish future thanks again for tuning in happy 10 year anniversary of exodus everybody happy five year anniversary of the end from a couple days earlier uh and mike i'll talk to you soon sounds good all right take care everybody bye